Welcome to Recover Strong, a podcast that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. This is your special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. Hello there, Warrior. I'm your host, Jessica Flint. I'm the founder and CEO of Recovery Warriors, a wisdom-sharing platform for all people impacted by an eating disorder. Recovery Warriors provides resources and support to heal your relationship to food, body, mind, and soul. I personally recovered from an eating disorder and I'm here to inspire you to do the same. I believe recovery is not only possible, but it is worth it. That is why Recover Strong exists, to help you see and connect to the potential that lies within you to find freedom from an eating disorder. Today, we are rolling out a new Q&A feature where you listeners get to ask us questions and we go find experts or warriors with lived experiences to give you answers. Today's Q&A is with Dr. Anne Safi Biasetti. She's the author of one of our featured book club reads, Befriending Your Body, a self-compassionate approach to freeing yourself from disordered eating. Dr. Anne is a licensed psychotherapist who specializes in eating disorders and body image issues and has been in practice for over 30 years. Damn, this lady knows what she's talking about. In this time, she's established herself as a leading expert in the intersection of self-compassion and eating disorders. From her doctoral dissertation, which focused on the self-compassion spectrum of eating disorder recovery theory, to her Awakening Self-Compassion card deck, which offers 52 practices for self-care, healing, and growth, to her Befriending Your Body online program, Dr. Anne knows the ins and outs of self-compassion in eating disorder recovery, which is why we turn to her to learn about the three components of self-compassion and what to do when you feel like your body is the problem. Hint, you're going to want to learn more about self-compassion. Now, as I just mentioned, there are three components to self-compassion. Self-compassion is not some kind of nebulous concept. I know when I first heard about it, I thought it was something that like you either have or you don't have. I'm either self-compassion or I'm not self-compassionate. Some people have it, other people don't. No, this is something that you can actually learn. There are actual components and practices that you can learn and apply to your life. The first component we're talking about today is called common humanity. And Dr. Ann has one practical way you can apply this to your life to improve your recovery and feel less alone in your body image struggles. And if you're wondering about the other two components of self-compassion, we'll be covering those in our upcoming Q&As. So to start things off, let's get on the same page about what self-compassion is. So what is self-compassion? The simplest definition of self-compassion is how would you treat a friend? So I'd like to start off with telling you a bit about what self-compassion is and then also what it isn't. Um, Sometimes when I introduce self-compassion to my clients, one of the things that I hear most often is that they get afraid that if they practice self-compassion that somehow they'll become very self-centered or selfish or weak in some way, or unmotivated. And actually, self-compassion is quite the opposite. 
So thankfully, we have a lot of research on self-compassion, including my own research um, when I researched self-compassion in the recovery process from women recovering from an eating disorder. And actually, all the research shows that self-compassion does quite the opposite. It actually increases motivation, it increases self-care, it lessens anxiety and habitual worry and distress, and actually helps to improve the overall quality of one's life. So really, when we look at it, why wouldn't we all be practicing self-compassion? The simplest definition of self-compassion is, how would you treat a friend? Now think of a time your friend or loved one is going through something really difficult. What kind of things did you say or do for them? How did you show them compassion and love? Sometimes turning compassion towards ourselves is easier said than done. What do you do if you don't feel worthy of the same treatment you might give to another person? Let's hear what Dr. Ann has to say about how you can use the first component of self-compassion, which is called common humanity, to help with this dilemma. Many of my clients realize that it's not always easy to practice self-compassion and they recognize that it's so much easier for them to have compassion for another. So when we have compassion for another, what we're really talking about is the wish to alleviate another person's suffering. So if you consider yourself for a moment, I have a feeling that you're probably one of those people that can be a really good friend to somebody else, especially when they're struggling, probably a really good listener and a really good uh, comforter to someone who is in pain or suffering. And it's easy to do that for another, usually much easier than it is for ourselves. There's another component to this common humanity too, and that has to do with understanding that actually we're not suffering alone, that many of these conditions that you may be struggling with, the self-critical, body image issues, difficult relationship with food, these are all very, very common struggles, especially in today's culture. I tell my clients all the time that out of fairness, we have to understand that we live in a culture that really supports a self-critical mindset. In our world of competition and fast pace, there's this belief that a self-critical mindset will actually get you further and push you to be more productive, but it's actually the opposite. We also live in a culture that supports, unfortunately, a mind-body divide, where it leaves us in this really competitive place and comparative place when it comes to our bodies and putting out body ideals that, let's face it, almost all of us cannot compete with, nor should we, right? Because this competition, especially in the mind, takes you so far away from who you are and instead leaves you feeling really empty and self-critical and focused on the surface of your body rather than the internal awareness that you have within. I think we all have to really pay attention to the fact that we are all subject to these sociocultural influences. And you combine that actually with personality traits such as perfectionism and a tendency toward the self-critical mindset and anxiety, issues like that. And, you know, it really sets the framework for leading you down a path of disordered eating and body image disturbance. 
So we begin with understanding that a lot of these issues do not belong to you and you alone. This is the common humanity piece, but rather they belong to our society at large and have a great influence then impact you individually. Body image issues do not belong to you and you alone. Same with personality traits like perfectionism, a tendency towards a self-critical mindset, and anxiety. I can raise my hand for all three of those. (laughs) Anybody else? Can you feel me on that one? It's very common to have a loud inner critic when you're struggling with an eating disorder. Dr. Ann has a practice to help combat this by practicing common humanity in your everyday life. So I'd like to invite you into a practice now to take in the embodied experience of common humanity. As I said earlier, that a lot of times we think of self-compassion or compassion in general as landing in the self and becoming this self-centered idea. But really, when we start to learn about and practice compassion, it really opens us up more toward another as well as ourselves. So I love this practice where we can invite in someone that has a special meaning in your life to you. And I'd like you to place a hand wherever you feel comfortable, whether it's a hand on the heart, or you can place a hand on your face if that feels more comfortable, and leave the other hand open. And I'd like you to call to mind someone that is special in your life, whether it be a good friend, somebody else that's close to you, it can even be an animal friend, right? And I'd like you to take the visual image of this person or being, call them to mind. And I'd like you to simply take a breath in for yourself. And now take a breath in for this being. Take a breath in for you. Take a breath in for the other. Take a breath in for you. Take a breath in for the other. One breath for me, one breath for you. One breath for me, one breath for you. Just notice for a moment what that practice feels like, what it feels like both in your body and your mind. Especially notice if it started to calm down anything in your nervous system, if it started to calm down any critical thoughts or racing thoughts, and see perhaps how it may have even brought you right to the moment. So what we just did was a practice that embodies self-compassion. This is such a powerful way to practice and embody the first component of self-compassion, common humanity. So just to say it again, she put her hand on her cart and then she had her other hand outstretched, almost like you're asking for some change. Hey, give me some change and give me some love. Ooh, maybe self-compassion is the change you need to give yourself more love. What I love about embodiment practices is you're actually doing them in the body, right? Obviously, that's what the name implies, but so often we're very like in our heads and trying to intellectualize something. And so with this practice, you're actually viscerally feeling one for you, one for me. 
one for you, one for me, as in you're connected and just as deserving as anybody else for this attention, for this breath. Now, if you often find yourself overextending and being a people pleaser, always helping others before you help yourself, one little twist you can try with this practice is experiment with taking in two breaths for you and one for someone else. Two breaths for me and one for you. Two breaths for me and one for you. This starts to help you see that you can take more. It's so important to make sure that your cup is full before you can pour from it for other people. It's the classic put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on others. And here is a final message from Dr. Ann. Once again, you and your body are not the problem. Society is. And I know what you may be saying because many of my clients say this too, but Dr. Ann, I still have all these self-critical thoughts in my mind about myself, about my body. This is extremely common. It's so common to have all of that still rattling around there in your mind. And that's why we're gonna continue to work on this. Remember this, you and your body are not the problem. Society is. We live in a society that tells us our worth is determined by our size, that we are supposed to fight the laws of nature and to override our natural instinct to feed ourselves. Society praises us for ignoring our hunger and our bodies. Society's expectations put a immense amount of weight on our shoulders. It's easy to internalize this and feel like you are the problem that needs to be fixed. Research shows that dieting simply does not work and instead only predicts weight gain and eating disorders. When we recognize bodies are supposed to come in different shapes and sizes and body diversity is a natural phenomenon, it relieves us of the added pressure to contort and manipulate our bodies into something they're not meant to be. The self-compassion component of common humanity can help you as you learn to unpack this and heal. You are not alone. You are not the problem. There are thousands and thousands of other warriors who are listening to this show right now who are experiencing the same disordered thoughts and behaviors. It's absolutely okay to be where you're at. Join me for the next Q&A with Dr. Anne Safi Biasetti. We'll be continuing our discussion on the three components of self-compassion. Until then, imagine what life would be like if you could approach moments of criticism with softness rather than with harshness. If you could treat yourself with kindness, empathy, and compassion when you're struggling, just like you do with a friend. Dr. Ann's research has shown that self-compassion in eating disorder recovery is the number one thing that keeps people moving forward. Anytime you feel stuck in recovery, self-compassion is the key to get you unstuck. It may feel unrealistic for you right now, but keep finding small ways to practice what you learned today. Even if it doesn't feel natural or you feel like you don't deserve compassion, maybe it's something you could give yourself out of fairness. You are not alone in your struggle with an eating disorder. Body image issues and a difficult relationship with food do not belong to you and you alone. Philosopher Jiddu Krishnamurti once said, quote, it is no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society, end quote. And it's worth repeating again, You and your body are not the problem. Society's unrealistic standards and expectations are.
Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior. Warrior.